This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's up, everybody? Happy summer. We are now past Memorial Day. It is officially summertime. But that means even though the rest of the world is kind of starting to take a summer break, not here on InsideCarolina.com. And not here on the Coast to Coast podcast, we're brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt. All right, we appreciate you being here. As I told you before the intro... This is the Coast to Coast podcast on InsideCarolina.com. I am Joey Powell. With me, as always, Sean Moran. Sherelle McMillan is out this week. He's actually auditioning for an extra role with uh, the new pending movie, Medea Goes to a NASCAR Race. So he will be joining us sometime in the very near future. Uh, so we wish him nothing but the best. But joining us in his stead, uh, tonight we've got a little different show for you. But joining us in his stead, Adam Finkelstein, Director of Scouting for 24-7 Sports. Adam, how are you? Great, great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Appreciate you making time for us. Sean, how you living? I'm doing great. Looking forward to chatting. And folks, if if you're listening to this rather than watching us on YouTube, make sure you check out this new sleek, uh, modern technological miracle that Sean has on his head. Uh, thanks to the fine folks at IC headquarters. He has a new headset, so now he looks like the drive through assistant that I am, and we appreciate him sounding so clear and crystal and, and dulcet for us this evening. Um, Kind of a new show tonight. We're going to do something different with this Coast to Coast, but it is very relevant to University of North Carolina basketball recruiting. Uh, one of the things that, that I think kind of happens on the periphery of AAU ball is the, uh, is the U18 tryouts for Team USA. And it's a big deal. They just announced the rosters a couple of hours ago as we're recording this on May the 31st. And two of the guys that we were targeting, we mentioned last episode, uh, they were targeting to watch were Seth Trimble and Gigi Jackson. Trimble, of course, a member of uh, the incoming class for UNC, and Gigi Jackson, a recent commit, member of the 23 class. Adam has been in Houston watching tryouts and has has seen you know, as much as anybody as the director of scouting for 24-7, so we want to bring Adam on to talk. Adam, I'm going to totally show my noobness here and, and ask you some questions and hope you can enlighten the rest of us. Um, first thing I want to throw out is, is – what does what does the process for a USA basketball U18 tryout system, what does that look like? Can you take us from soup to nuts there? Yeah, yeah. So basically, there were 27 players who got invited. And it was a combination of there's actually one rising college sophomore and Corey Floyd, who's really a redshirt freshman. He redshirted at UConn last year. He's transferring to Providence. He'll have four years left. So he's he's a second year college player. Then there was a host of of incoming college freshmen, guys like Jordan Walsh, Kalel Ware, Anthony Black, um, Seth Trimble, obviously. Then there was a group of high school seniors, Gigi Jackson and so forth, and one rising junior and Derek Queen. So in total, there were 27 players. They went to Houston. 
the coaching staff is comprised of three college coaches. Tad Boyle from Colorado is the head coach. There's also a, now what they do is they make the selection committee bigger than that because they don't want to put all the onus on just those three coaches because those coaches are probably recruiting those kids. You know, like when I've, when I've been in the past, I've seen like Bill Self coaching the team, Shaka Smart coaching the team, and those dynamics can be complicated, especially if you cut a kid you're trying to recruit. So they have a, a, another selection committee as well. And on that selection committee, there's guys like Matt Painter and Jamie Dixon and James Jones from, from Yale, um, among others. So it's a, it's a big committee with USA Basketball uh, people, the, the coaches who are just there observing, and then the ones who are actually coaching the team. They practiced for three days, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday before, before their first round of cuts. The first round of cuts took the uh, took the group from 27 down to 17. That was midday Saturday. And then uh, today, on Tuesday, they went from 17 to 13. So they, they cut um, four more. Now, normally the roster is 12. I kind of suspected that they may keep an extra body or two just because with injuries, with COVID still lingering around, you know, like there's there's a chance they're they're going to need some extra depth. Uh, so right now they're at 13. It looks like that's going to be the final roster unless there's some attrition that happens organically. Um, and that's and, and now they're getting ready. You know, they'll they'll head to, to Mexico. I think it's one week from today to begin these these games for the FIBA Americas. Yeah, that's a great, great rundown. And I appreciate the appreciate the synopsis you kind of gave there, because, again, not everybody understands what this looks like because it hasn't always been relevant to to UNC basketball's interests. Uh, quickly, I want to run down the the list of the 13 kids that did make the cut. Mark Armstrong Jr., Anthony Black, Kanan Carlisle, Stefan Castle, Derek Daly Jr., Brandon Garrison, Gigi Jackson, Jared McCain, Derek Queen, the youngin' of the bunch, Ty Rogers, Seth Trimble, Kalel Ware, and Cam Whitmore. Whitmore also a name that North Carolina and IC fans will, will recognize. Um, so you've got these guys. They practice together. How structured are these practices? You know, is it is one of those things we're trying to see who stands out? Are they putting guys through actual drills? What can you tell us about how the process looks? It, it is exceptionally structured, and it is my it is my favorite evaluation setting because of it. And I actually, in one of the recaps I did on twenty four seven, I tend to be, you know, very candid to a fault sometimes, and <laughs> and so I think, you know, I led with it and said like, hey here's why this is my favorite setting. Cause nobody cares about what quote unquote offers you have. Nobody cares about your, your statistics, whether they're meaningful or empty. Nobody cares about your Instagram uh, followers, you know, for, for USA basketball and the people who are judged by this, this is the only thing they care about is putting together a team that's going to go win a gold medal. Because if you don't win a gold gold medal, I mean, let's be candid. It's, it's an embarrassment. I mean, it, it happened once in recent years that I can remember it was, um, I think it was the U18 team that went to Egypt. Uh, yeah. John Calipari was the coach of it. RJ Barrett was on the team. That I'm sorry, RJ Barrett was on the Canadian team yeah. that beat USA. That Canadian team was, was nasty, deciding, by the way. What's that? That Canadian team was nasty, by the way. I'm sorry to step on you. And then he commits to Duke instead of Kentucky. You know, so like, and, and that was that was a, a, a stain. They didn't want that to happen. You know, so um, so this is this is not about any of any of the. Um, kind of those fake narratives that, that sometimes fill up the, the grassroots world. This is just about finding the 12 or 13 players that can form the best team to help you win. 
So how do they go about getting players to separate themselves from their competition? Because all these kids are relative blue chippers, regardless of class, right? So, so what are they doing during these practice and tryout settings that are helping the players, uh, I, I guess, you know, separate the wheat from the chaff? Yeah, so that's what's interesting is, is like, you know, because everybody's an alpha in their own setting. So you come in and it's like, okay, who's going to be the alpha in this setting? And, um, you know, and, and that changed uh, by a couple of days. The first two sessions were closed. I didn't see the first two sessions. Uh, the third session that I saw, Isaiah Collier, who um, is not on the roster, who uh, was didn't make the first cut. He posted on his Instagram account that he had to go back and, and see if something he had a, an injury that he needed to check out. And that that seems right to me because I thought he was arguably the best point guard in, in the field. Don't hate me for that, North Carolina fans. But at least on the day that I was there, that Friday night, first session, Saturday morning, I thought he was the best best point guard there. Um, so it's so the the drills become you know there's drill work, but the drill work is based on whatever concepts they're gonna they're gonna implement in that team. And I think that there is a scouting component that goes to it. So again, you know these national programs usually there's a certain style of play that certain countries will have, and so. My suspicion, and I don't know this for a fact because I'm not in the behind the door meetings, but they already have a style of play that they're going to shoot for already established. And their the drill work and everything they do is designed to, to showcase who's going to fit into that system. But the, this is not a roll out the ball and let's play, you know, just play and see who the 12 best players are. This is very much like, okay, we've got to make sure we have a balanced roster. We've got to make sure we, we've got enough shooting. We've got to make sure we've got enough uh, ball handlers, and we got to make sure that the pieces fit together. So I think one of the big things isn't just who's going to emerge into the alpha. It's also like, okay, who's going to be willing to play um, a, a more supportive role? Because some of the guys who got cut in the first round um, were ones who who really struggled to adjust their approach. Like they they were taking the same shots they'd take in a grassroots game, and that that wasn't going to fly here. One one question on on my end, having been to a lot of these events in the past, usually pre-COVID, you would have guys that have been in there from the time they're freshmen and are kind of used to the USA setting. I know the USA events have still been going on uh, more so recently, but was there more of an adjustment period for a lot of these guys than, than say in years, years past? Yeah, that's, that's a terrific point because it used to be that every October USA basketball had their mini camp and they bring out like 60 players to the Olympic training facility in Colorado. And it was very much like a a program where they, they wanted continuity with their guys, with their principals. And this is a little different for a couple of reasons. One, they haven't, I don't think they've had that, that October mini camp for at least a few years because of COVID. They did bring everybody together at the final four. They've also had a change in, in leadership. And so there is a um, BJ uh, Domingo, I, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, is now the head of the, the junior national pro- programs where Samson uh, Coyote, again, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, moved on to a front office position with the San Antonio Spurs. And so Samson was the guy who had the, the, um, the relationships with a lot of the kids who are now upperclassmen because he's the one who brought them into a program. So it's a transition. Um, and then the other thing that's different about this is this team is coached by college coaches. This isn't Don Showalter who coaches a lot of the, the 16s and the 17s. This is you know a college coach who does not have familiarity with the vast majority of these kids. Yeah, no, that, that definitely makes sense. And one thing you were just hitting on was in terms of, of fitting in pretty quickly. I think over the years, you've seen many lottery picks that have been cut early on because they didn't, they didn't fit into that, that role. Um, right. how, how easy or hard, 
was it for say a, a Seth Trimble or a Gigi to kind of learn that pretty pretty quickly on? Because uh, I know going back, I'd say Colin Sexton was probably one of the guys that mm. he hadn't been part of the USA in the past, and he picked it up super quickly in terms of uh, getting in on defense, really being a team player. But it takes players sometimes everybody figures it out a little bit differently. Yeah, I, I thought Seth's game was, was really kind of a natural fit for what they were looking for because he's a terrific kind of head of the snake on the defensive end of the floor because he's such a good defender and he's going to establish um, really what you're trying to achieve on that end. And I, I thought that was where he really differentiated himself. And if you look at USA B teams, especially at the younger levels over the years, they've really um, done it defensively and done it with their ability to force turnovers and so I think that for Seth the the transition um wasn't it was pretty natural um Gigi was a little bit different and I did see a little bit of a difference in his approach because you know for Gigi who's one of the most talented prospects in the country 24-7 has him at number one um you watch him play with CP3 and you can see how dominant he is but you can simultaneously see him working to kind of stretch his game a little bit you know he's playing from the mid post he's trying to face you up at 18 feet and there's some growing pains that go along with that it's not always seamless it's not always super efficient it's probably necessary in the long run to continue to extend his game but in usa basketball that's not the setting for that you know right now it's about hey we need to win in the next 14 days mm -hmm. and so we're not interested in your your face up jab series from 18 feet here so I thought the thing that Gigi did really well, and again, I, I wrote this because I thought it was important to give him credit. He was as efficient as I've ever seen him. First of all, he played tremendously hard. Second of all, he was, um, he was a live body and using his athleticism on both backboards. And third, he was inside out. Like he wasn't, he wasn't trying to prove his shooting range. He was just, he was rebounding. He was running, he was finishing. He was doing the things that, that he does best right now. I think his game is certainly going to expand beyond that right now, uh, in the future. But in terms of how can he best impact the game right now, it's in the paint. And those are the things that, that he was really focused on when I watched down there in Houston. Carolina fans are going to love to hear that. And, and just to throw this out there, this team will compete for the, uh, for the FIBA World Championships June 6th through the 12th. Um, right. I'm, assume, I'm assuming there will be televised somewhere. Usually NBA TV picks up some of it, but um, be sure to check these, check that out for those of you who are listening and watching right now. Uh, Adam, I want to stay here uh, because I think this is important to our listening audience and to IC subscribers as a whole. You talked about kind of Gigi's motor. You talked about Seth's things. And I do want to highlight that you did a, a Q you did a, a brief post on uh, Inside Carolina's premium message boards back on the 28th or 29th of May. If folks want to go back and check that out before the first cuts. Um, are, were there some things you saw from these guys maybe that you didn't see before? Again, I recognize you just said you saw Gigi be that team player. We saw that a little bit with him deferring uh, in his AAU setting with CP3, but did you see anything in either one of these guys' skill sets that Carolina fans will say, oh, that's music to my ears? Yeah, I don't, you know, for Gigi, I, I don't know that I would use the word defer. What I liked about it is he was active without, he was impacting the game without needing a bunch of shots. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought was, was most uh, impressive and showed a lot of maturity on his point, uh, on his part. And I think that's really the thing when you're talking about any like blue chip recruit, it's, mm -hmm. it's striking the balance between continuing to grow your game without sacrificing your efficiency. And so I think that that's, 
as I said, someone of his talent level has got to be given a little bit of a longer rope to stretch himself. And so I think it's appropriate that he gets that in, in AAU and, and in high school to a certain extent. But in this setting, no. And so what I was impressed at is even when he wasn't getting the same volume of touches, especially facing the basket, he was going to get it off the glass and he was going to get it um, on the defensive end or in transition. And I think that bodes really well um, for Carolina fans, because I know that, you know, actually, I think we talked about this um, within the message boards as well. People were saying, well, you know, we might not see his best basketball at Carolina. And I said, no, candidly, you probably won't. Um, and, and that's not a knock. That's just to say, like, he's he's probably on a one-and-done track. Mm-hmm. and But he's a long ways away from playing his best basketball. I mean, I think the guy he's going to be in four or five years is going to be vastly different than the guy he's going to be in six months so or, or in, um, or in eight, 18 months, for that matter. Um, so I think that... Um, I, I think that's a really encouraging sign. Like I, I use the Scotty Barnes example, like he mm-hmm. came off the bench at Florida state and he impacted the game without needing to take a ton of shots. Now he was just the NBA rookie of the year. So I think sometimes it's necessary to like temper those expectations because this may not be it. And we saw that with Caleb love, right? Like he had all the hype. He came in, he wasn't ready to be, you know, the man from day one, but given time to grow into a bigger role. And I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, with Gigi, I don't know if it'll be that same extent, but I think it would be unfair to expect him to come in and be dominant from day one. It's going to be very good from day one, but I think the big thing for Carolina fans is he's going to be able to impact the game in a lot of different ways, even if he's not the man from day one. Um, with Trimble, I think what was really interesting to me was, so again, in, in the backdrop of COVID, I hadn't seen Trimble before last year's Peach Jam, and at that time he was already committed to North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was a sense of like, gee, uh, you know, people were saying, gee, we're not sure he's good enough for North Carolina. And I remember being at, at the Peach Jam, I was like, oh no, this kid's good. Um, <laughs> and, and I think the thing that with him, it's pretty easy, you know, like he's a strong body. He's a good athlete in terms of carrying that kind of size and still being able to move laterally and, and slide his feet, really defend you. He can really rise up at the rim. He can go through contact. So he's athletic in a couple different ways. He gets in the paint at will. He can run your team. He can also really defend. The thing for him is going to be the consistency of his three-point shooting. That's going to be the area that's, that's got to improve. Um, I think it's, it's got to be, you know, it's a little bit of a slower release that kind of starts on the left side of his body and then gradually works up to his, his right side. But I mean, I, I can't imagine there's a, a coach in the country more equipped to help somebody with shooting than Hebert Davis. But, um, you know, I, I think that's the thing. I, I, you know, that's probably not a surprise to a lot of people, but um, he's so good defensively. He's so good with his ability to get in the paint. I, I think he's going to, going to, uh, you know, play a really big role for this, this USAB team. Well, and I want to give you a, a little bit of praise here too. What you said about Gigi Jackson uh, and UNC fans not seeing his best ball in Chapel Hill uh, is something that Sherelle and Sean said on this show Uh quite recently and I think folks may have kind of had a, a bit of a head scratching response to that it's not that he's not going to fit on this roster or that North Carolina is not going to showcase him it's right. just that he's got so much of a skill set that it's going to fit more in an NBA setting or in a professional setting I should say rather than rather than North Carolina even with yeah. UNC's new style I, I mean Gonzaga didn't see the best of Chet Auburn didn't see the best of Jabari exactly. Duke didn't see the best of Apollo those guys were all really really good to varying degrees but they're gonna be a whole lot better in three or four years it's it's you know it's it shouldn't be a controversial thing um so again humor, humor the 
uh, humor the elementary question here, but again, I'm, I'm trying to speak to a large audience. Sure. What does this mean for these kids, right? So they've made this U18 roster. Uh, there's a chance to go play four-year country for a gold medal. What does it mean as far as their development? How much will this help them? Um, you know, uh, how much will this help them in their overall game? How much will this help expose them to different styles? Just riff for a little bit about how, uh, how people can expect this experience to change the players. Well, I think one of the most valuable things it does, because you never know the, the full context of each kid's background, um, but there, it's really hard to mimic the pressure you feel the first time you go on the road and you go into, you know, wherever, Cameron Indoor. Um, but when you are Team USA and you're going down to Mexico and the FIBA Americas, like nobody wants you to win. And, um, and yet everybody expects you to win. So there is a level of pressure in that um, that I think is potentially unprecedented for some of these kids. I'm not going to say all of them because I don't know their, their individual backgrounds with quite enough detail to say that definitively. But I do think this is, this is a growing experience in that regard to, to go down there. And, and even those who have faced that type of pressure, um, to do it in a scenario where it's really a team concept and it's not like, Hey, Gigi, go get us 30 or we're going to lose. Like, no, that's, that's not the case here. It's like figure out how to impact the game with your heart beating in an unprecedented level when you may not get to touch the ball, you know, like that's, that's a, that's something that's going to help them grow. And, you know, for decades now, you've heard so many stories about like kids who have breakout college seasons after a great USA basketball experience and maximizing your summer, you know, like conversely, there were a couple of kids that dropped out of these trials, like two or three days before Nick Smith and Amari Bailey, um, you know, incoming freshmen at Arkansas and UCLA alike. Uh, Nick Smith was at like, he was on social media. He was at the clutch sports pro day instead. I mean, like, all right, you know, like that's, that's, you know, may help your, your, you know, you've got a professional mindset and there's, I'm not criticizing that, but um, you know, going down to Mexico with the, the armed security and having to face that adversity with all those expectations. And if you win, nobody really cares because that's what you're supposed to do. And if you win, you're embarrassed, like that's pressure. And that's what it's like, you know, when you're playing at a, at a blue blood, like Carolina. I think la the last U18 uh, event had uh, Kobe White coming off the bench where he was the leading scorer, had Cole Anthony and Armando Baycott. But I think in this type of setting versus high school or AAU, you're able to see a little bit more about how these guys will fit in into college. And, uh, you know, just going back for a second, you mentioned first seeing uh, Seth at, at Peach Jam and, and now yeah. seeing him almost a year later, give or, give or take a month, month and a half. Um, what were there any were there any new things that you saw or anything that had changed from when you first saw him? I know this year he had a good high school season, but wasn't in any of the national uh, all star games where he got to compete against other other top players. So just curious from uh, last year to this year in person, how that might have changed. Yeah. And, you know, it was interesting because I didn't. Um, so I was obviously with ESPN until about, you know, six weeks ago or whatever it was. And most of our winter schedule was based around the teams that were on national TV. So I didn't see Seth during the high school season. It was um, so this was also the first time that I had seen him in a context where he had really good players around him. And so the thing that that jumped out to me, and I don't want to say this wasn't the case at the Peach Jam, but it was even more evident here because they he wasn't 
it wasn't necessary for them to rely on him to create all their offense. But what a leader he could be on the defensive end of the floor. You know, sometimes like whether it's Peach Jam or anything else like grassroots, people just tend to watch the offense. Yeah. Well, in, in this setting and the and the stars have a tendency to kind of rest a little bit on, on defense. You know, if you're evaluating defense, which I am, you, you're trying to, you know, you have to kind of figure out which possessions you throw out because it's like, all right, he just didn't make an effort on that play. Um, so it's harder to get a sense of, of somebody's defensive ability in grassroots because I think too often we just say like, oh, they're athletic. They're going to be good defensively. Well, in this setting. Um, you could see it and you could see like, okay, when, when Seth doesn't have to put, or even if he does his ability to lead a defense, I just think that is, is something we don't talk about in the grassroots world, but I mean, start from the very beginning, he can push a ball handler outside of the middle third of the floor, right off the beginning that helps you establish your defense. Cause however you're going to play, you know, you establish your weak side, you're able to fl flood one side of the floor. That, that's things we don't talk about in an AAU game. But in this setting, you get an appreciation for it. Um, he's got that perimeter size. It's going to make him switchable on the perimeter. He's going to be able to match up with bigger guards. So if they, you know, if not just switching ball screens, but maybe they're switching equals on the perimeter, like one through three or one through four or whatever, he's going to be able to do that. Um, those are things that, again, not to say he didn't do them in grassroots, but I didn't get a true appreciation for um, the, the totality of his defensive potential. I think North Carolina fans will obviously also recognize the value in a defensive-minded guard because just looking as recently as as April of the or March of this past season, North Carolina's ascent really happened when guys started playing consistently on the defensive end, where they got to the point where they could get regular stops. And so, for you to mention a guy that will be coming in as a freshman to have the potential to earn playing time as a defender, I think is is going to really raise some eyebrows amongst the Tar Heel faithful. Um, Another thing I wanted to ask is, is you got, you did a really good job of laying out kind of the fact that this is a, a system oriented uh, process or this team's, you know, these guys are going into play a, a system. Did you feel like some of these kids, um, and I don't want to say are more coachable than others, but did you feel like, you know, some of these kids may, may be more adaptable to different styles, whereas, to, you know, you mentioned the type of kid that is always going to be an alpha um, did you get a sense that any of, of these guys specifically with, with Jackson and Trimble, uh, you know, might be more of a fit to Hubert Davis's style now with the four out, uh, one in style play and, and doing a lot more pick and roll, uh, ball, high ball screens, that kind of stuff. You know, I think that's going to be interesting with, you know, there's some, you know, like Gigi, is he, I think like I call him a four now, is he, is he closer to a five or is he closer to a three? He, you know, people are going to say he's closer to a three. I, I don't think that's reality. Um, I think he's closer to a five when he's when he's his most effective. Um, I think his long term, you know, I, I think it's very possible that that five years from now, when he's in the NBA, you see him playing some small ball five. Now that that sounds like that's like the most insulting thing you can tell a seventeen year old kid right now. But from a from a historical uh, context, you look at all these guys who said they were threes in high school and they're all playing the five in the NBA. So, I, and, and I think that's, that's probably the way he he's going to track. Um, now that's not to say he's going to play that, that that's not specific to UNC system at all. Um, but it, it does create the opportunity for some mismatch problems there. And he is a kid again, who, who wants to, and who should 
be able to stretch his game. He does have the ability to face the basket. And I think that's going to be a part of his game that continues to grow. Um, but so often in terms of versatility at the highest level, it comes down to the defensive end of the floor and how, how can you move your feet and are you a rim protector and do you have an easier time protecting the rim or do you have an easier time uh, sliding your feet on the perimeter? And those are going to be the interesting things to watch, watch with Gigi. Um, you know, with, with Steph, I think that the thing it's going to be really interesting as he fights for playing time next year, I think he's a really good fit, particularly next to RJ. So like mm. when Caleb comes off the floor and RJ's a little undersized, he's, he's a little bit of a, you know, he's a tough shot maker. He's highly, highly skilled. Now you've got this bulldog coming in right next to him. Who's going to be able to guard whoever the toughest, you know, cover is on that end of the floor. Who's going to give you that level of physicality to match kind of that smooth, skill set of, of, a, of a, a little bit of a slighter guy in RJ. And I, I really think those two are going to complement each other really, really well, regardless of the style of play. Um, but to your point about being able to play pick and roll on multiple sides of the floor, you talk about those two and Caleb. I mean, everybody can play pick and roll now. Um, <laughs> and so it's, it's going to be a, a really interesting um, dynamic. And the thing about the thing about that is if you have ball screens on multiple sides of the floor, that means you have, um guys who can who can roll and pop on multiple sides of the floor too so whether you're the four or the five or whatever you know Gigi's going to be in that spot and I think for him his development is going to be based on having the freedom to not just pick and roll and be a lob threat which he definitely is but also pick and pop and be able to try and stretch defense and put the ball on the floor a little bit and as I said we've seen he can do that and it's it's uh that's going to be a part of his game that, that continues to develop so in that answer, which is a really good one, the thing I keep hearing about these kids, and, and I guess to the roster as a whole, is versatility. And, yeah. and when, I, when I think about versatility, I think about Johnny T-shirt, because Johnny T-shirt is probably the most versatile seller and haberdasher of, of UNC-themed gear. And, Do I get and, gear for coming on the podcast? Is that how it works? We will arrange something, <laughs> and, and we, will, uh, we will get your people in touch with the right folks at Johnny T-shirt, because... Johnny T-shirt can take care of it. I've said many times on the show, if Johnny T-shirt doesn't have it, you don't need it. JohnnyT-shirt.com right there on East Franklin Street. They're big fans of ours. Look, we're rolling into June, which means it's almost Father's Day. Um, you know, Adam, when we were trying to set this thing up, you, you mentioned that you're a dad. I'm a dad. Yeah. I would absolutely be thrilled with some gear from Johnny T-shirt. And Johnny T-shirt is prepared to help you help your dads, the dad in your life. Um, baseball team just got named as a regional host. Uh, they are rolling in, just won the ACC championship. Johnny T-shirt, they got ACC baseball championship shirts. Uh, they will be able to help you out if you try to go to the Bosch to watch UNC host their regional this weekend or any other time if they keep playing. But Johnny T-shirt is your stop. Go there. You don't have to go anywhere else. JohnnyT-shirt.com. Premium subscribers inside Carolina know you get an extra 10% off. They're already low prices. Be sure to check out Johnny T-shirt. We appreciate their support of all of Inside Carolina's content, want you to support them as well. Take a quick break. Let the national guys drop an ad or two in here. We'll be right back with more Coast to Coast podcast with Sean Moran and Adam Finkelstein. 
Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we're back. We appreciate you guys sticking around to this episode of the Coast to Coast, talking a little U18 USA basketball, specifically around Seth Trimble and Gigi Jackson, two kids that are near and dear to Tar Heel fans' hearts. Sean, I'm going to throw it to you and let you pick Adam's brain a little bit. Sure. Uh, maybe just stepping outside of the, the UNC focus we've had, sure. uh, two, kind of a, a two-part question. One, Cam Whitmore, uh, just since Carolina fans are familiar with him, what, what stood out? or what, what helped him him make the roster? And then two, maybe more of an open-ended, uh, what were some of the, your favorite matchups to watch or what were some things that really stood out to you uh, for some of the, the players that you got to see uh, outside of maybe an AAU-type AAU setting? Yeah, so, you know, Cam, I think, is going to be really interesting because, um, you know, I, I wrote this. Again, I, I would rather be uh, real than, than, you know, kind of transactional and just perpetuating these narratives. Cam's a great player, and I think he, he's been on a rapid rise in the last year. But in the days that I was in Houston, I felt like he was trying to find his niche a little bit. Like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like quite as, as um, natural as, as I expected, given the rave reviews he had coming out of the, the uh, postseason All-Star games and stuff. And so it's going to be interesting there because he and Jordan Walsh are two of the more high-profile incoming college freshmen. They're similar, though, in the way they play. I mean, both guys are, are attacking the paint. Um, they play really, really hard. Obviously, Jordan's more got like more length and and, um, you know, maybe quickness, whereas whereas uh, Cam's got more power and, and explosiveness. But if you put them on the floor together, um, neither one of them is a particularly good shooter. So you better be turning the other team over. So that that is a dynamic that's going to be interesting because I think they're both going to be best at, at, with this team at the four spot. Uh, if they play them together, again, you're worried about shooting. Um, and you, they're certainly both in your top five talents. So that's something that I'm, I'm really interested in. Uh, the other thing that really jumped out at me in this setting was uh, Kalel Ware, uh, the, the freshman going to Oregon. I, I think he was the best long-term prospect on the court. Um, he was doing stuff that, that nobody else there could do. Now his, his future is going to be tied to his motor. And there's still too many times where he's, you know, he looks a little disinterested or he accepts being blocked out, doesn't fight through it, or he doesn't hold a seal in the post, all those kinds of things. But I mean, we're talking about a seven footer who dunks the ball hard with like his feet barely coming off the floor. Who's got phenomenal hands. Who's got great touch out to the three point line. He's just got tools you can't teach. So he's made a really nice leap with his motor within the last year. And if he does it again, 
I mean, I, I think all of a sudden we're going to be talking about a, a potential one and done lottery pick. I don't want to say that with certainty because the motor does have to keep coming, but he has that kind of talent. Right. But I always love hearing, hearing the insight on, on the other, on the other players, not to put you on the spot, but if you had to project the potential starting lineup, uh, who, who do you think it might be in that, in that first, uh, first game? So I, the thing that, that is, so I think you've got where, uh, who's going to be at the five. Um, it's a North Carolina podcast. So we'll say Seth's <laughs> going to be the point guard. Love it. Um, you know, he's play uh, the hits, Adam, play the hits. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, but he and, uh, he and Mark Armstrong, I think will get the, the majority of the reps there. The thing that's going to be interesting about this team is where they get the perimeter shooting from. Cause Anthony Black's going to be on the court too. So right now, you know, it's like, all right, well, where does, where does the shooting come from? Um, you know, Kanan Carlisle is going to be a guy that's, that's going to step in and they're going to have to find other places to make shots because that is going to be, you know, if they get stuck in the half court, that could be a factor. Yeah, that'll that'll definitely be be interesting. We all know, especially having seen some of the past U sixteen, U seventeen, U eighteens, they'll they'll be zones or there'll be times where they need to hit outside shots and they're not able to get to the rim as as easily as as they would like. So I remember I think it was four years ago, I came on saying that Kobe would be the leading scorer, and then he didn't even start initially. And mm. I, I was about to eat my words and everybody's like, Well, what, what are you talking about? Luckily, he came in as a sixth man and and backed uh, back that up, but it, it's always interesting look at looking at the roles and with with the Americas tournament for the most part, a lot of the players will get will get playing time, but there will be certain roles and expectations that are quickly defined. Pretty yeah, early. and at, at the risk of complimenting a Duke guy on a on a uh, Carolina <laughs> podcast, I think Jared McCain's going to be a, a big part of that because you know he really. He was getting rave reviews the first two days just in terms of being a spot-up shooter and a ball mover, not going to be a playmaker, an advantage creator. The ball's not going to be in his hands, but that's that's a guy who they're really going to rely on uh, for some for some floor spacing. And that absolutely matters in an international setting, right? Like okay. even, even folks that are new to the international game can understand, you know, shooting it usually will carry the day in a lot of instances. So, um, Sean, anything else you want to throw at Adam before we let him get out of here and go back to go back to dad life? No, I, I appreciate the the insight and and just echo your comments on USA basketball being a great evaluation tool. So I wasn't able to be there, but glad we could have somebody on that was and get those insights. Well, well listen, I, I appreciate you guys having me because you know you guys you guys kill it. Your site is awesome. Your, your fans are passionate um, and and they're and they're educated, which I think is a lot of fun. Like interacting with them uh in the message boards i mean it's it's just you know it's it's like it's like fun basketball talk so i just appreciate uh being able to come on here and, and being a part of it well flattery will get you everywhere included including asked back on this show so we appreciate you uh appreciate Look you wrapping your that. appearance with that uh he is adam finkelstein director of scouting for 24 7 sports we appreciate his insight and kind of getting us a peek behind the curtain as to how the entire u18 usa basketball process went down Featuring Tar Heel, Future Hoopers, Seth Trimble, and Gigi Jackson. Again, those games will be from June 6th to the 12th. So be sure to check your local listings to see when those games might be played. But for now, for Inside Carolina, for Sean Moran, for Adam Finkelstein, I'm just Joey Powell. This has been another episode of Coast to Coast Podcast. We appreciate you listening. Remember, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff, whether you're on YouTube, Spotify, GeoCities, 
uh, Pinterest, wherever it is that you're getting us. I don't know if any of those things actually have podcasts, but we appreciate you being here. Make sure you rate and review us. We will catch you next time on the Coast to Coast Podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Late. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+.